Hey everybody, how's it going today? Welcome to the Where Are We Going Today podcast. Well, where are we going today? I decided that today's episode is getting a little bit different than usual. I typically like to go off the cuff, come from a place of meditation, and just open my heart to whatever arises there and talk about it. But quite frankly, I've got this photo sitting on my phone and I'm really tired of looking at it. And I just thought that It'd been sitting there because I knew sooner or later I wanted that to be an episode of the podcast and now's as good a time as any to just talk about it. So I've decided that's what I'm going to do. Well, I should start by talking about how my high school experience was probably like many people's college experience. That is, it was a wild time with all kinds of unpredictable and reckless behaviors. It was a lot of fun, I have to be honest, but there was a lot of fallout. A lot of friends in my closest circle from high school are no longer alive or spent time in jail and or prison from these wild and reckless times. That doesn't mean we all fell victim to that sort of thing, but in any case, it was interesting to say the least. But the soundtrack for my high school experience, certainly the last couple of years, was The Doors. That is the 1960s musical group Jim Morrison and The Doors an L.A. group that was fun and interesting and in a short time became an obsession for me. So I graduated in high school in Sarasota, Florida, in Southwest Florida in 1991. And in the months before I graduated, the Oliver Stone movie, The Doors, came out. And it was profoundly impact to this 18-year-old mentality as well as the, the hearts and minds of my friends. It was hugely impactful. We were young and reckless and wild and arguably visionary. And along came this rather creative, somewhat embellished tale of this charismatic rock star who is sexy and wild and intellectual and sophisticated and all these sorts of things and contradictory. And so, of course, we were ripe for such a movie to come out. And it absolutely became the soundtrack for our certainly senior year high school experience. Jim Morrison led this wild life, drinking, partying, using lots of drugs, having sex with lots of women, a sex, drugs, and rock and roll sort of lifestyle that led to an early death in Paris, and excuse me, at the age of 27 years old. And so, needless to say, he was quite an inspiration for me and for all of us. But the problem was with me in particular, for reasons that I'm not entirely clear on, this became an all-out obsession for me. I was so intrigued and enchanted by this man, Jim Morrison, in the way and timing in which he came into my life, the impact he had there, and again, me having this college-like high school experience that was rich in wildness and energy and darkness and inspiration that I embarked upon what amounted to a 20-year obsession. What do I mean by that exactly? Well, when I was in high school, I somehow got the idea that I wanted to write a book, kind of a definitive book to the Jim Morrison and the Doors story. As long as I can remember, probably in middle school or even earlier, I'd had these sorts of dreams of being a poet or being an author. It's something I'd always wanted to do. And I tried writing poetry and short stories and even novels. 
and I decided I wanted to write a book about my new obsession, The Doors. And so, of course, that's what I started to do even back then in high school. So, but before it turned into an obsessive sort of endeavor to dig deeply into the life and history of the band, you see there are already plenty of books out on the market. In particular, after Oliver's movie came out, books on the doors were in the dozens, certainly in the English language, and I tried to get my hands on all of them. I wanted to acquire every bit of knowledge or speculation or presumption that I possibly could. But before I got to that point, the obsession in my own neighborhood was fully developing. As I said, Jim Morrison was this charismatic, sexy rock star. And of course, I was not particularly charismatic or sexy, but I wanted to emulate some of him in whatever way I could. There's this famous photo of Jim called the in what's called the young lion pose. I don't know how to describe it other than it's probably the shot of Jim Morrison that you're most familiar with. He's got this kind of wild hair, kind of bushy, long. He's shirtless with his arms out to his sides. And if you look, he's wearing this red, white, and black beaded necklace. And of course, I created a necklace or two just like it. And the young ladies responded favorably. They didn't call me out for trying to mimic my rock and roll hero. But in any case, they responded in a way that encouraged me to dig more deeply into this obsession. Well, it got sort of ridiculous in many ways, but one of the first ways was when I decided that, well, since Jim had died in Paris and as an 18-year-old kid, I wasn't in any position to go to Paris to visit his gravesite, I decided to actually construct a Jim Morrison gravesite in my backyard. Of course, I didn't tell my dad about it until after I was already done. And when I somewhat proudly decided to tell him that I'd created a Jim Morrison honorarium and gravesite in the backyard, my dad, the rock and roller, rather than responding in a way that appreciated my interest in this rock star, told me I was being ridiculous and to get rid of that stupid thing in the backyard. To this day, I feel somewhat embarrassed by that, but... In any case, eventually I started to dig deeply into the research. I decided that I did in fact want to create something of a definitive guide to the history of this band. And so when I first started out, I didn't envision a way. I don't know what I was envisioning other than perhaps just simply trying to harvest as much material as I possibly could about the band in order to come up with something that would present a greater, more comprehensive understanding of the history of the band, if for no other reason than my own benefit, which of course I saw a great value in given my obsession. But in time, I started to envision a day by day, literally chronological history of the band, trying to account for every single day in the band's history. But of course, I wanted to even predate the band's history by trying to collect every bit of material I could in the lives of Jim Morrison, as well as in the lives of the three band members, Ray Manzarek, Robbie Krieger, and John Densmore. And so that's what I tried to do. I tried to get my hands on absolutely every single bit of information I could. I poured through old newspaper clippings, read dozens upon dozens of books about the doors. I interviewed in time 
countless people, associates of the band, people that were close to the band and even very much on the periphery, whoever had any sort of lead, I went after it. And of course, once the dawn of the internet age started, I dug very deeply into internet research. Given the unreliability of that, that would of course prove to be part of the downfall of this project. But in any case, I did have some really interesting interviews with people over the years, including a particular friend named Paul S. Williams of Jim Morrison that most people who are familiar with the Jim Morrison story don't know anything about Paul S. Williams. And that was one of the most interesting things about digging deeply into this story was I got to uncover the names of people who had impactful, meaningful relationships and insights into the band that maybe others knew nothing about. And Paul S. Williams was one of those. Paul S. Williams was the founder of Crawdaddy Magazine, which is a major rock and roll um, critical um, piece in New York City back in the 60s. Paul S. Williams was a close friend of John Lennon. And although he didn't have a long relationship with Jim, Mor Jim Morrison, he had an interesting relationship with Jim Morrison. Paul had suffered a catastrophic bicycle accident a couple of decades before I met him and was dealing with dementia when I met him. And I was fortunate to interview him uh, not long before he died, actually. But it was interesting to get to know him in any case. Another colorful character that I interviewed during this process, whose name I will choose not to give, simply because he had all these wild and fantastical stories about his times parting with Jim Morrison and other well-known people from Hollywood in the 50s, in the 60s. But quite frankly, I'm not sure I believe the guy. The guy wrote a series of books about some of his adventures in Hollywood during those times. And there's just something about them that makes me think the guy was full of it. So I'm going to leave his name out. But in any case, these are some of the colorful characters that I got to uh, interview during the course of working on this project. Well, of course, it was important for me to try and meet the three remaining members of the Doors during this whole process. Jim, of course, had died before I was even born at the age of 27, as I said, but the other three remaining members were still alive and I got an opportunity to correspond and meet all of them in due time. Ray Manzarek, the keyboard player, was the only one who was particularly interactive or interested in my book project, but he was a reviewer of the book and a supporter. Although he didn't contribute much in terms of providing potential content or factoids or whatever, given in his words that he was burnt out on so many years of talking about the doors, he was happy to review the manuscript and offer feedback and the like. My interactions with Robbie Krieger and John Densmore were more fan-based and just getting to say hello and whatnot and had less to do with the book itself. I also want to mention another colorful character that I met in the course of researching this, um, this book. And this was a lady who had the distinction, I believe, of being the first topless dancer to have her picture featured on a billboard on the Sunset Strip in the 1960s, something like that. In any case, by the 1970s, she became a famous porn star. 
but she, in Jim Morrison's time, was a topless dancer on the Sunset Strip, and Jim took a favorable, very much uh, strong liking to her, and so they had some exchanges. And we actually met in L.A. two or three times over the years and had lunch and had a nice little friendship. But curiously enough, even though I kept trying to steer the conversation back to Jim Morrison, she was less interested in talking about Jim Morrison, it seemed, and more interested in talking about her affair with that guy from the Get Smart TV show. In any case, that was kind of interesting. So I mentioned being in L.A. and going there for a lot of different reasons to interview different people close to the band. After all, they were an L.A.-based band, although Jim grew up in Florida and went to school at Florida State University before he went to UCLA. But I had an opportunity to stay overnight in the hotel room in West Hollywood in the Santa Monica area where Jim Morrison lived for a couple of years. I managed, of course, to find out what room that was and to stay in that very room. Uh, back in the day, I think it was a cheap kind of seedy quasi-skid row hotel, and today it's not a whole lot better. It's been visited over the decades by lots and lots of Jim Morrison fans. So although you get to hang out in the room and take selfies in spots where other pictures of Jim had been taken in the day in his room, the room is very dumpy and has graffiti and whatnot and Jim Morrison fan writings on the walls and the like. But what can I say? It was certainly a highlight. But I also had an opportunity to travel to back to Florida, which of course is where I'm from, to visit the famous Dinner Key Auditorium, which one would argue is probably the downfall of Jim Morrison. Uh, this Hollywood, excuse me, this Miami area auditorium is where the Doors gave a concert in 1969 where Jim reportedly exposed himself and it was the beginning of the end of his career and frankly his life in many respects. I visited that place and other places around Clearwater Beach where he lived and where he went to junior college as well. But back in L.A., I had an opportunity to also visit a lot of different places where the Doors gave concerts, including the famous Hollywood Bowl, where I went out onto the stage during an off time when no bands were playing, and it was really kind of neat to be up on the stage where Jim had given a concert. Eventually, I was also able to make my way over to Paris um, for a number of reasons. I was over there, but one of the biggest ones given that I was in the middle of what became this 20-year obsession, research and writing this definitive book on the history, this chronology, this day-by-day -day accounting of the history of the band. Needless to say, I needed to get to Paris to see Jim Morrison's gravesite there, and that's what I did on a rainy day, and so it was like something special to me. But I also traveled various other places around the U.S. Jim had just made that excursion to Paris, but otherwise he was very much a U.S.-centered sort of person, although they had spent some time as a band down in Mexico. But I was in San Francisco on a couple of occasions and managed to befriend one of his ex-girlfriends who lived there, although she knew him when he was in L.A. and when she was also in L.A. But it wasn't only his ex-girlfriend that I got to meet. I also had a colorful series of exchanges with Jim's wife, if you want to call her that. Many would argue that they were never actually married, but she considered 
and considers, I think she's still alive her, herself to be his wife, but I managed to piss her off in the end through, I guess, poor discretion. I think she was maybe sensitive and I was a little insensitive. In any case, she would have been a fantastic resource in my research, but ended up falling short because of a falling out that we had that I perhaps was the catalyst to. But in any case, I tried to account for every single day in the life of this band over the course of this 20-year obsession, digging deeply. As I said, I came close in the end. As I was talking about here, I passed up no leads at all, tirelessly, tirelessly searched the internet once that was available, read dozens of books. I interviewed everybody I could kind of get my hands on, and I dug up old newspapers. But... In time, something sort of interesting yet perhaps predictable happened, and that is I stopped caring. I realized that I didn't listen to the doors anymore. I don't know if I was burnt out or if I just lost interest musically or otherwise. I was no longer a teen, and so maybe this teen fascination with this rock and roll guy just didn't apply to my life anymore. But in any case, I stopped really giving a damn about Jim Morrison or The Doors. I can still listen to them from time to time and appreciate the music, but I lost any sort of enchantment with the band, and yet the book still wasn't done. Well, after spending all this time and all these kind of embarrassing episodes of building Jim Morrison grave sites in my childhood back home and all these sorts of goofy things that went on, I still realized that a lot of time and effort and heart and money had been put into this book. And so even though I didn't care about the material anymore, I still felt and saw some value in trying to put it out there and publish the book. Well, because I had dug so deeply and put so much work into it, I actually was able to get picked up by a major New York City literary agent, a big agency there, who believed in the project. He thought it was fantastic, but he told me on the front end that it was probably going to be a tough sell simply because my particular approach was so niche that it was such a small market that he wasn't sure what he could do with it. Rather than portray this as a narrative or, or present the book as a, a narrative or some sort of new angle, I was literally presenting it almost like a day-by-day -day calendar in the life of the band. On July 1st, this happened. On July 2nd, this happened, so on and so forth. And so while he thought it was a cool project, he told me on the front end it was going to be a very tough sell. And indeed, that's exactly what it ended up being. He eventually told me that he just wasn't successful, although he thought it was a really good project. So I decided to go the self-publishing route, which I have done with a number of book projects over the years, perhaps in due time. We'll talk about more of those. But I went that route, but again, my heart wasn't in it. And in the finished product, it was obvious. And not just to me. I found it sort of a curiosity, but perhaps added to the embarrassment of this 20-year obsession was that one of the reviewers of this self-published work, once it came out, said something along the lines of how this book could be the definitive story to Jim Morris and the Doors, but somehow it just sort of sucked. That's not exactly how he put it, but that was sort of the spirit, I think, of what he was getting at. But I have to sort of agree with that. And so after probably less than a year on the market, 
I took the book off the market and to my knowledge it's no longer available unless somebody has some secondhand copy out there that they're holding on to for who knows why. But in any case, this 20-year embarrassing obsession was productive in the sense that it gave me a creative opportunity to explore my own musical interests, my interests in pop culture, and to also shed a light on my own sense of self and sense of identity. And so in that way, anytime we can turn a light on our sense of identity, our value system, our sense of self, who we are, what we hold dear, it's an opportunity to reevaluate. And so I suppose there's some value in the lessons learned from this whole embarrassing obsession. But in any case, perhaps any of you who are interested may eventually get your hands on a copy. In some sense, I hope you can't, but we'll see. So thank you for listening. If anybody has any questions or follow-up comments or remarks, please do let me know. It's great to hear from you. But in the meantime, thanks for tuning in. Take care. Bye-bye.